come before you for that move of your spirit tonight, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear. God, that you would grant unto us that heart of good soil, willing to receive the word and allow it to go to root and bring forth much fruit. Lord, we pray that you would be magnified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Depression. Woohoo! There I am. <laughs> they both struggled with depression. So the, the idea for, for Elijah, you remember, Elijah has this great victory. He defeats the priests of the, the high priest of Baal. God brings down fire from the heavens to take the sacrifice from the ground. Proof positive that God is the God most high, is the one that deserves to be worshipped. And then he runs into this lady named Jezebel on his way to the town, back into Jerusalem. To, he's so stoked that God has showed himself mighty. And Jezebel is unaffected by the truth that God exists. You ever met people like that? There's a few of them in the world. He ran into Jezebel. She said, may God do worse to me if by tomorrow you're not dead. And Elijah just sinks into this depression. Takes off running in the opposite way. He's done. Ever felt that way? He's done. He's finished. He takes off running. He runs as long as he can run. And he just falls down and, and wishes to die. And an angel comes to Elijah and he gives him some special bread. And he ministers to him. And Elijah gets up and he runs on the strength of that bread for 40 days. That's a long time to run. I have never wanted to run that far in my life. I'd rather let the bear eat me than have to run that far. But then he comes to the end. He, he, he goes into a cave. And God says to Elijah, Elijah, why are you here? Oh, Lord, I alone have been faithful. There's nobody else. I proved to them that you were real. And they still wouldn't turn. They still wouldn't change their life. God said, 
You're not alone, Elijah. I have a thousand ministers besides you who haven't bowed the knee to Baal, who are being faithful. Why are you here? Elijah needed a a moment, some time with God to be encouraged, to be strengthened. God never excuses our depression, but he meets us in that place. And he helps us to overcome. He revealed himself to Elijah. He he showed him this great fiery storm. And and the scripture says the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then he shows him this this great wind and powerful storm. And it's again, the Lord's not in the wind. Then he spoke to him in that still small voice. And he asked him again, why are you here? I have work for you to do. Elijah needed to come to a place where he could take his eyes off of himself and his depression and and his disappointment and put his eyes where they need to be that carry us through the storm, right? There's only one place where, where we can be carried through the storm. That's when our eyes are on Jesus Christ, when our eyes are on him. So the Lord encourages Elijah. Tonight we come to Jeremiah. Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20 is at the lowest point in his low career. Jeremiah, I don't know how many, I don't think he had any high points, Jeremiah. He, he's got an incredible message that he brings, but the point is nobody ever listens. Nobody ever changes, nobody ever turns, nobody ever receives what Jeremiah has for him. But every day he continues to go out and share the word of the Lord that God lays on his heart. And he continues to share, and every time he shares, people reject it. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear uh, what it is that God has for him. And, and, and again, he goes out, and again, he shares. But in Jeremiah chapter 20, he runs into a guy named Pasher in Jeremiah 20, verse 1. Now, Pasher, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also local governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. In Jeremiah 19, you remember that God told Jeremiah to go buy a pot. And then he said, go out to the dump where they throw away all the broken pots. And take that perfectly good pot out there and break it. And prophesy to the people, this is what is going to happen to the nation of Judah. Because they were in a life full of idolatry. So they were, it's not going to make it. So there, it's not, that's depressing. Now I'm going to slide into depression. So, so they're going to go into this time of, of captivity with Babylon. So Jeremiah did this and he came to the temple and he told him in the temple, Hey guys, the God is sending this army from the north. Now up until chapter 20, he's never named who it is. In chapter 20, he names them. He tells them who this army is that's coming. But he says, they're coming and you're going to lose. Now, if you were to... Say, for example, in the United States, we had enemy coming against us. And, and all the people, all the church began to say, hey, forget about it. They're just going to beat us. Just lay down your arms and accept the fact that we're going into captivity. People aren't going to like you very much. They're going to say, where's your patriotism? You've got to fight for your country. You've got to take care of these things. But that's not the message that God gave Jeremiah. He said, tell the people to lay down their arms. This is from me. 
If they lay down their arms, they'll just go in. If they pick them up, they'll be destroyed. So Jeremiah is telling us that, and Pasher hears about it. Now Pasher, he's like the secret police for the, for the priesthood. And he hears about what Jeremiah said, and he's decided that he needs to do something about Mr. Jeremiah. So, in verse 2 it says, Then Pasher struck Jeremiah the prophet. Now, the English doesn't translate this very well, but in essence what it's saying is Pasher arrests Jeremiah, beats Jeremiah, and tortures Jeremiah all night long. Just like, you know, in our own history when people would bring in what they thought were witches and they'd torture them until they would confess to whatever they wanted them to confess to. It's very much the same thing in the language. In the Hebrew, it's, it speaks of him being beaten. Not just, he didn't just hit him. He beat him. He, he struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks. That phrase, in the stocks, literally in the Hebrew, means put on him a twisting. It's, it's a picture like of a rack, you know, being stretched out on a rack. Being placed in a device intended to torture. So he places them in this thing. They were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. So here, Jeremiah is right near the house of the Lord. He's given his prophecy, been faithful to God. And in his faithfulness, not only has no one changed their ways and decided we're going to hear what God has to say, but now they're torturing him and nobody stands with him. Nobody cares. And God doesn't stop it. This is the darkest night for Jeremiah of his ministry. He has a hard time with that. And if we think we wouldn't have a hard time with it too, we're just fooling ourselves. We'd have a hard time with it too. When we come to the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches, and you read the letter that Jesus Christ gives to the church of Smyrna. Smyrna means crushing, to the, to the persecuted church. And they're going through all this persecution and people are being killed. And Jesus says to them as encouragement, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life and I always spoke to me Jesus didn't say I'm going to stop all the persecution and you won't have to worry about it anymore and I'll make sure that nobody touches you he says be faithful to death don't quit don't turn your back on it there's lots of things that are going to happen in your life that will disappoint you or depress you just like elijah just like jeremiah he was in physical pain physical abuse and it's going to cause within him a a crisis of faith but every once in a while in our life i think crises of faith are important that it's in those crises of faith we we make a decision to go deeper or go away and those crises of faith are intended to show us where we are if in my crises of faith my choice is i that's it forget it i'm out of here i don't want to do this anymore i'm going to go in the opposite direction it shows me that there's a problem inside of me because god wants me to be faithful no matter what 
If, on the other hand, I'm able, like Paul and Silas in the prison after they were beaten and placed in the stocks, same thing. They were placed in the darkest dungeon in a time of torturing and abuse. But the scripture tells us what they were doing, you remember? They were praising. So how does one praise and how does another turn or or want to run away? It shows, it reveals our character. Not our reputation. Our character, who we really are. And it's intended to show us to say, this is something I need to deal with. This is something I need to address in my life. So Jeremiah's having his moment. He's having his time. The torturers have their way with him. And Pasher must have had some kind of remorse for him because he doesn't keep him longer than a day. It says in verse 3, And it happened on the next day that Pasher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. And Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pasher, but Megor Misabib. Pasher means fruitful on every side. Megor Misabib, it means fear, terror on every side. So Lord is changing your name, Pasher. This is a judgment that God speaks to Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaks it to his torture. He says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. And they, your friends, will fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes will see it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. First time that the nation from the north, the nation that's coming as God's judgment to the, to, to the kingdom of Judah, is named. It's Babylon. It's Babylon. God's going to do work by sending his people who are caught up in idolatry... That means they've got things in their life that have taken the place of God and they're okay with it. They've added Jesus or they've added God, Almighty God, God the Father in their case. They've added him to their life. He sits right next to Baal and Ashtoreth. It's okay, there's room for all of us in here. But not as far as God's concerned. God says, lay down your gods. Get rid of all that stuff. They're not real. And just cling to me. They would cling to him for a time and turn their back on him. Cling to him for a time, turn their back on him. Now they're caught up in idolatry and God's going to help them overcome their idolatry. He's going to send them to Babylon, the center of all idolatry. Every world religion on the planet today began in Babylon. Every single one of them, you go into Babylon and you will see... The, the, the essence, the beginning, the foundation to every false religion around the world. Reverend Hislop wrote a book, The Two Babylons, in which he, he, he goes through and documents uh, how that mystery Babylon, that religion that the book of Revelation talks about, was spread around the world through Babylon. Everywhere. And so the Lord sends them to that for 70 years of captivity. And after 70 years of having to choke down every possible idol worship that they could have, they were done. They came out of Babylon under the leadership of two men, Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah. They come out of Babylon and they rebuild and they lead us forward into 
400 years of silence in the coming of Messiah. So, here Babylon is coming for the first time. They're named to the children of Israel. And he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them by the sword. So now he's talking to Pastor and he's saying, Hey, all, the, all your friends, <clears throat> they're going to be destroyed. They're all going to be destroyed because they will not hear the word of God. Was Daniel destroyed? No. What happened to Daniel? Listen, the Assyrians who took the northern kingdom, you had the kingdom divide into two after Solomon. And the kingdom divides into two. The northern kingdom is called Israel. They last for about 250 years. And then they go into captivity to Assyria, the ten northern tribes. Assyrians take them. Assyrians are cruel and destroy and kill and torture is bad. The Assyrians are bad. The southern kingdom, because they occasionally followed the Lord, they lasted another 150 years. And after that 150 years, they're going to go into captivity to Babylon. Babylon, who takes their captives and would use the wise, the educated, would meld them into their society. Rather than torture and abuse them, they'd meld them into society. From the kingdom... The northern kingdom, which was taken in to the Assyrians, the product of that captivity is the Samaritans. Jewish people into which was mixed Judaism and the worship of the Assyrians, bound together. Still bound together in Samaritan worship today. And why the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Babylonians would come along and conquer Assyria. So when they conquered Assyria, who else did they conquer? The ten northern tribes. So now they're all part of Babylon. And then Babylon went down to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, and conquered them. I'm going to take them into captivity, uniting, if you will, the nation, at least the tribes. And then from there, they'll go forward, rebuild, and enter into 400 years of silence, awaiting the Messiah. So here... He's talking about, here comes Babylon. Babylon's going to come. Your friends are going to be destroyed. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of the city, all its produce, all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah. I will give into the hands of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house will go into captivity. You will go to Babylon and there you will die and be buried there. You and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. See, the priest, Pasher, was telling everybody it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. God's going to deliver us from this enemy. But God was telling Jeremiah, I'm not delivering them. They're going. This is my judgment. It is going to happen. There are certain judgments from God that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt will come. Daniel's 70th week will come. The tribulation period will come. Just as Christ's millennial reign will come. It will take place. So here he's saying it will happen. They're going to come because you prophesied falsely. And then at the end of chapter 6, Jeremiah pens out for us this psalm, song, poem, whatever you might want to call it, that he put together that night when he was being tortured. 
that night that he was going through all the stuff that he was going through. In fact, he begins in verse 7. He says, Oh, Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded, for you are stronger than I and have prevailed. But I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. He says in the beginning of his, of his poem something that we need to grasp, and that is this. Everyone will suffer persecution. Jesus said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, actually Paul said it, but all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution. We're going to go into hard times. Bad things will happen. Jesus never said, when you come and follow me, you'll be free of all diseases. You'll be free of all hardship. You'll be free of anything that happens to the rest of the world. He never said that. Here, Jeremiah said, listen, you induced me. You called me in Jeremiah chapter 1. And how could I say no to God? I mean, you're more powerful than I. But this ministry that you've called me to, I'm in derision daily, and everyone mocks me. That was his whole ministry. I am thankful that God did not call me to a ministry like Jeremiah. It will be hard. Jeremiah says, everything's hard. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me. A reproach and a derision daily. God was giving him the word, and it was absolutely, utterly against what popular opinion in his nation was declaring. And he, at least in this arena, alone is standing up and saying, no, it's not going to be okay. No, the economy is not going to turn around. No, your houses will not still be your houses next year. No, it's not going to all work out. That's a word that God gave to Jeremiah and everyone hated him for it. Because the message was coming from God. They didn't like that message. We like the good stuff, right? When good stuff happens... We just call that good stuff. When bad stuff happens, we call it an act of God. Most of the nation doesn't even believe in God. But if a tornado comes through town, that's an act of God. It may be. It may be. But Jeremiah in his ministry, as he's standing up and declaring the word that God has given him, And he's in the racks and he's being tortured. He's saying, man, it's a drag. I'm not really enjoying this. I'm doing what you're saying and things are hard. In verse 9 he says, so I said, I will not make mention of him. Nor will I speak any more in his name. Jeremiah said, that's it. I'm done. He's in the racks. They're torturing him. Hey. I'm not saying another, I'm not prophesying another word. Well, we know how that ended, right? Because when he walks away from pasture, he gives him another prophecy. I'm not going to prophesy another word, but look at how verse 9 ends. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. And it was shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Now keep in mind, too, as Jeremiah is saying this, he's not really stoked about that. He's not excited that it's a burning fire within him. He's, he's upset. I want out. I want out of the game. I want to stop. 
Forget it. I give. Tap out. You know, it's over. I, I'm done. But he said that word wouldn't leave him. Do we know from Jeremiah 1.5 that the Holy Spirit was upon Jeremiah in his mother's womb? That God ordained him a prophet to the nations. He was going to fulfill his purpose. And so that word of God, that, that, that word that God had put on his heart, the message that was there, he couldn't stop. He had to do it. And so in verse 10, he, he tells us the second thing we learned from this, and that is when we find ourselves, not if, when we find ourselves in times of suffering, we can always take that suffering to the Lord. Do you really think there's some suffering we're going to go through that Jesus Christ didn't experience that or greater in the years in his ministry here or in the passion of the Christ? So here he says, for I heard many mocking fear on every side. That na- that's the name that he told Pashur he was going to be called, remember? Uh, the Magor Misabib. I hear many mocking me. Fear on every side. Everywhere we go, Jeremiah's always got bad news. Bad news. Always telling us how we're going to face destruction and bad things are coming. And I'm just tired of hearing his message. I don't want to hear what he has to say anymore. Now, before we just push that off to the side, keep in mind that the New Testament tells us the time will come when men will no longer endure sound doctrine, but will heap up for themselves teachers to tickle their ears. The time will come when people won't want to hear about sin. Don't tell me that I can't live together with, uh, with uh, another woman. Or don't tell me that I can't live a homosexual lifestyle. Or don't tell me, don't judge me. Well, we talked about that this morning. I won't get back into it again. But the idea is, hey, sin is sin. I'm sorry you don't like it. I don't like it much either. There's a few I'd like to take out. But I don't have the freedom to do that. What I have the freedom to do is acknowledge that God's word is true and every man is a liar. That means every man is a sinner. Every man falls short. Every man needs a savior. Not most, every man. And I'm one of those every man that needs a savior to cling on to, to reach out to, to grab a hold of. And I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to... To reach out and, and grab on to the Lord. But I don't want to ever reach a point where I say, no, no, forget it. All the Bible says is what you can't do. Maybe you should read it. It's got a lot to say about what you should do. What you can do. What you ought to do. But the time will come when people will say, we don't want to hear. That's how they were with Jeremiah. Fear on every side. He says the boogeyman's coming. They didn't believe that Babylon could take them. Babylon's going to take them piece of cake. Babylon's going to get good at taking them. They're going to conquer them, I think, four times. He's going to set up a puppet king, and they rebel, and then he sets up another one, and they rebel, and then finally he just hits them with a sledgehammer, just beats them down. Because they wouldn't receive what God's word, through his prophets, was saying. So they go on to say, report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, Perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. Hear that? All my acquaintances, all, my, all the people who knew me, 
You ever feel like you don't have very many friends? Well, you're not Jeremiah. I don't think he had any. Everybody he knew was looking for an opportunity to trip him up, to see him fall, to see him fail. Everybody. So Jeremiah, he, he takes these things to the Lord. Listen, I hear all this stuff and all my acquaintance and all these things that are going on, all these things that are happening, they're trying to trip me up. They're trying to do these things. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. See, he, he lays that stuff out before the Lord, but then, but then he enters into a time of praising in the midst of suffering. Just like Paul and Silas. He breaks into praise. He's going to praise the Lord. And there's three things that we'll see in his praise of the Lord. We're going to see a confession of faith. And that's what he just gave. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome God. He, he brings forth that confession of faith in the midst of his suffering. God is with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They're Hebrew names. When they were in the fire, were they alone? When all the children of Israel were standing before Nebuchadnezzar's giant idol, did they and all their friends stand with them? When the trumpet blew, what did all the children of Israel do? They right on their face. Except for three Hebrew youths. Young men who said, we will not defile ourselves with the king's delicacies. Just like Daniel so they went, they wouldn't bow. The king got so mad. First he said, no, before I lose my temper, guys, I'll give you one more chance. And then they still didn't do it. Then he lost his temper. He got so mad, he heated the furnace up seven times hotter than it had ever been. And the people who lit the furnace died just to make it that hot. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't care. And then he had guys, the guys to go throw them in. Now how did those guys throw them in? They can only get so close. The dudes who lit the fire were already dead. There's only so close I can get. So how Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael get in the fire? They got to a point where those others died. How'd they get in? They walked in. Why'd they walk in the fire? Because there was somebody else in there. Wasn't there? Nebuchadnezzar looks at him in the fire and he says, Hey, how many guys did we put in there? We put in three. Well, then why is there four? And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Don't, don't ever lose sight of that. We, 2,000 years later, try to take the Son of God and make it mean that he was birthed somehow of God. That's not what that phrase means. That phrase means the sharing the exact character as God. That's what it means. Everybody knew, because when, whenever Jesus made himself to be the Son of God, the Jews tried to kill him. Because he was saying he was deity. So he says, there's one in there like the Son of God. And then he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, guys, come out of the fire. And they just come trucking out. The ropes, their bonds are burned away. God was with them. Just like Jeremiah. You know, he's not maybe visibly seeing the Lord, but he knows by faith. He makes a confession of faith. God's here with me. God has told each and every one of us, I will never leave you or forsake you, period. Not, I'm going to leave you if it gets a little too rough or if you're not perfect. 
I will never leave you or forsake you. For lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. Wherever we go, whatever we do, there he is. So he makes a confession of faith. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble, and they will not prevail. So in this profession of faith encourages Jeremiah in his depression. That's something that we need to learn. We're in a low time, a time of depression, an understanding that making a confession of faith, putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and realizing that He is there, He is with us, He is strengthening us, that will encourage us, it will help us to arise out of the depths of despair. He says, They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. See, here, he, first he begins with a confession of faith, and then he moves to a prayer of deliverance. Hey, confuse my enemies, Lord. David used to say it like this, knock out all their teeth. There have been a couple times I wanted to pray like that. Knock out all their teeth. There was the idea of confusing the enemy. Not letting the enemy continue to prevail over them. Bring your deliverance, God. Bring your deliverance. Set me free from, from this oppression. But, O oh, Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. You who test the righteous and know the mind and the heart. We were just talking about that this morning, that idea that God doesn't judge from the outside. That's why the Pharisees could fool all the men on the planet because they looked holy, they looked righteous, they're clean, they prayed, they, they had all the right things to say, they could quote the Bible to you. But Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Inside you're full of corruption. Outside you look good, but I know the real you and you're not okay. Jeremiah understands that. Lord, you, you know. He's not trying to elevate himself and saying, I'm righteous. He knows he's a dirty sinner just like everybody else. But that in that state, he is sanctified. He is justified by his faith and trust in God. Lord, you know the mind and heart. Deliver me. Bring that prayer of deliverance. And then he just erupts into praise. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. The three things that always constitute bringing praise. A confession of faith, a prayer of deliverance, and a hymn of praise. And wouldn't it be great if we could stop there? But that's the middle. Been a few times I should have stopped in the middle. But Jeremiah... He's not able to stop in the middle. He goes through this and he has his time. But that's how depression works, isn't it? Have you ever known people who struggle with it? I mean, you, you're, you're beating it, you're doing okay, you're, you're up. And then, man, on a dime, you can be back in the tank again. Back in it again. And that's what we see from Jeremiah in verse 14. So cursed be the day in which I was born. That sounds exactly like Elijah. I wish I had never been born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Don't celebrate any more birthdays. I don't want to even think about it. Let the man be cursed who brought the news to my father saying, A male child has been born to you, making him glad. 
Why should my father be glad because I was born? What a horrible day the birth, my birth was. This is a man just deep in his despair and depression. But he knows the way out. He knows the way out, but it doesn't mean he doesn't struggle with it. We can be a believer and struggle just like Jeremiah did. It's okay. We're still believers. We struggle. I'm defined by my faith in Jesus Christ, not by my struggle. I'm defined by my relationship with Him, not the areas that I strive to overcome. And Jeremiah shows us. Jeremiah, the prophet, great man of God, yet here he is, depressed. He goes on in verse 16. (laughs) And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon. Saying, the guy who who proclaimed to my father that I was born, is he going to see all this stuff? I mean, all I get to talk about is is that it's all despair, that the city's going to be destroyed, that people are going to die, that God's judgment is coming. Is that guy who brought the news, who blew the trumpet, who told my dad what a great day it was, is he going to see all this stuff? Is he seeing what the the message of the Lord gave to me? All because he did not kill me from the womb. That my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Wish I never been born. Why didn't I die? Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? And Jeremiah leaves us there. But he asks the question, why did I come forth from the womb? Do you remember the answer? All we have to do is turn to the left a few chapters. We come to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, as the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah, remember what he said to him. This is God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart. I have ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah said, Lord... I cannot speak, for I'm, I'm young. I'm just a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you will go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched his mouth. And the Lord said, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See? I have this day set you over the nations and over the kings, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down. And what? To build and to plant. Jeremiah can see it now because he's in a bit of a rough spell. But in a few chapters, Jeremiah is going to deliver to us the greatest news ever spoken to man. It's called the New Covenant. 
It's when Jesus or the Lord speaking to Jeremiah says, Hey, in those days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In those days I'm going to, I'm going to, no longer will you, we have to teach one another. I'm going to, I'm going to put my law in your hearts. I'm going to write it inside of you. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to indwell. And as he begins to bring out the precept of the new covenant that Jesus Christ ushered in by his death, he has the opportunity to build and to plant. Because that message is still going forth today. But sometimes we're in the middle of all the junk, we can't see it, right? When we're in the middle of the storm, we can't tell that shore's just a little ways off. But it is. The Lord told him in, in the beginning, when he first called him, this is how it's going to be. He lays out six things for him, but four of them deal with tearing down. Bad news. But two of them, they're good news. Sometimes we have to remember what it was that the Apostle Paul told us to do. He told us to meditate on the pure and the lovely and the things that are of good reproach. To focus on the beauty and the majesty and not take our eyes off and start to look at the wind and the waves. Because when we do, we will always sink. Amen? As we close out tonight, we'll, we'll uh, end tonight like we do every Sunday night. Sunday nights we end with a time of prayer, an opportunity for, for ministry, the, the flowing of the Spirit as the Spirit leads. If God gives you a word or something you want to share, we want to invite you to be able to share that. If you have a prayer you'd like to pray, we want to invite you to pray. We're just going to hang out and pray and and do our thing. If you got a bail, I understand. God bless you and go in peace. But we're just going to take this time to just seek his face, to go before the Lord. A lot of people in our fellowship right now, as, as we talked a little bit about this morning, that are struggling, going through all kinds of health problems and issues, several families affected by cancer. And uh, we want to remember to lift them up and to keep asking and to keep seeking and to keep knocking. So we're just going to go before the Lord now and invite you to come with us. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you tonight, Father, we ask that you would meet us in this place. Lord, we seek to receive from you that which you have. Lord, we seek, God, to remember our, our brothers and sisters that are hurting, that are going through difficult times. We want to stand in the gap. We want to stand in the gap for our community. We want to stand in the gap for our nation. We want to stand in the gap for our brothers and sisters. We don't want you to look and say, I looked for someone who was willing to stand in the gap and there was no one. So Lord, we set aside this time as we just come before you, as we seek your face, we pray, God, that you would move in this place. Father, that you would uh, lead and direct our prayers. Father, that you would be glorified as we seek to honor you here. And we give you all the praise.